Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Jens Nelson. And I am Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thank you for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. It's always such a mouthful, but I love it. There's so much to unpack in there. Uh, but today is, is Friday. And we have a special episode, I guess you could say. Uh, If you recall, if you've been around our podcast for any good length of time, uh, a little bit over a year ago, we introduced Friday episodes where we did Christians of History. And then somewhere along the way, like in October of 2020, we, we started doing a Creeds and Confessions segment on Friday. So we put Christians of History on pause. And we went through creeds and confessions. So if you've ever scrolled through our back catalog, you'll see, um, you know, Athanasian Creed and Apostles Creed and Nicene Creed um, and literally going through all the little segments of it. And then at one point, we started going through the Augsburg Confession. We made it through about six articles and we decided um, for a number of reasons, uh, but mainly people wanting Christians of history again, we decided to switch back to Christians of history with the caveat that every once in a while when we're busy, when life gets chaotic, or when we just want to change things up, we would reintroduce a fun episode um, of, of creeds and confessions. So that's what today is. We're considering this a, a, a reboot. I don't know if we'll do it again next week or if we'll do it again in three months. Who knows? Uh, but we thought, it'd be t- uh, we thought it would be fun uh, to talk about Article 7 of the Augsburg Confession. And that article is titled, Of the Church. Uh, which is always important to talk about, talk about the, the church, talk about the, the body. Um, so let's let's see what the Augsburg has to say about the church. So Lucas, do you want to read that? Sure, I'd love to. Article 7 of the church. Also, they, and it's been a while, so I'll just reiterate, when it says they here, it's referring to the Lutheran churches, the churches of the Reformation. So also, the Reformation churches teach that one holy church is to continue forever. The church is the congregation of saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered. And to the true unity of the church, it is enough to agree concerning the doctrine of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. Nor is it necessary that human traditions, that is, rites or ceremonies instituted by men, should be everywhere alike. As Paul says, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, etc., etc. Ephesians 4, 5 through 6. That is Article 7. A um, couple things, a couple big points I feel like it's trying to make, mm. uh, and, then, and then maybe some smaller points to kind of go along with those. Um, quick, like, refresher. Uh, if, if, if it's been a while, which it has, or if you haven't heard our earlier episodes on this confession, um, the first six articles of the Augsburg Confession are of God, of original sin, of the Son of God, of justification, of the ministry, of new obedience, and then we get to Article 7 of the church. So we're walking through this pretty logical theological progression from God and himself, who God is, what we know about him, who he has revealed himself to be, and how we as humans, the state we're in from sin and the fall, how Christ saves us, reconciles us to God and God to us, and then we, uh, as a result, are 
new creations and part of that is you know logically the next step is a bunch of those new creations get together and we have the church right so um makes sense in the general progression that we get to the church here and like i said there's a couple of big things that it says it kind of um gives us a definition of the church of what the church is and then gives us a point about what it means to be united as the body of Christ, hmm. as the church, right? So this is sort of, I guess, you know, I, I, I feel like at least the way that it tends to be taught in, you know, historical theology classes, church history classes, the systematic classes, those kinds of things, like this is kind of a fairly standard, I mean, I'm sure it's different in non-Protestant context, but for me, I feel like this is a fairly vanilla standard kind of go-to definition of what is the church yes yeah. uh the congregation of saints in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered so we have the the actual literal group of people the congregation of saints so it's it's a group of people who in this case you know saints meaning those who have been saved those who are are born again those who are united to christ those who are christians we can kind of just you know summarize it um and in that congregation uh, among that group of people the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered um if i was gonna like teach this in a sunday school or, or explain this to, to to someone who was asking about this article like this is probably where i'd want to camp out um so i don't want to like cut off anything else that that stuck out to you or that is important because obviously the rest of the article is important or else they wouldn't have put it in the article but i do think that this is maybe the most important sentence yeah is, is this this part here um i don't know if you have other thoughts i do or, actually yeah so yeah. the the very first little segment that says also they again the lutheran church teach that one holy church is to continue forever and i think that's a pretty profound statement it's one that would be like well yeah sure uh, but i think especially as protestants and especially especially as evangelicals uh, i think we sometimes have this mindset that like the first 1500 years of church history was just this dark barren wasteland especially once the catholics kind of came in uh, you have some messed up theology you have some crusades or whatever and it wasn't until uh, thank, thank goodness Martin Luther came on the scene and he, you know, hammers up his theses on the uh, on the church door uh, and it sparks this worldwide re uh, reformation. And now we finally have the true, the real church. And m maybe that's a caricature. Maybe that's not a fair representation of Protestants and evangelicals. But I feel like a lot, if not most, just casual churchgoers might have that mindset. Like, you know, I know the Catholic Church, you know, they talk about Jesus, they talk about Christian things, they have the Bible, but they don't really seem like real Christians. And so it's only really been since the Reformation that we've really gotten things right, quote unquote. I don't know if you agree with that assessment. Um, that's more or less what seems to be true for a lot of people. I mean, do you, do you think that's oh, fair? Oh, yeah, de no, definitely. Right. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, like you said, it is a caricature of, I'm sure, most individual people, but... There are people that that's not a caricature of. Right. And even if that's a caricature, <laughs> that word has ceased to mean anything to me. But <laughs> even if that is an exaggeration, it is rooted in this disconnect that 
many, if not most, Protestants, especially especially evangelicals, do uh, have from from the tradition and the history of of the church. It's it's not so much the faith once delivered to the saints as much as the faith once you know written down, and then everyone kind of figures it out on their own individually. It seems right. like. Well, I mean, we can even just look at the fact that most Protestants and evangelicals today will look to people like Luther. They'll talk about Calvin. They'll talk about, um, you know, Spurgeon and John Owen and Jonathan Edwards. Uh, but most, I would care to venture that most evangelicals wouldn't talk about Thomas Aquinas or um, any of the popes or really, I mean, we ta- we've talked about a lot of early, like the Cappadocians and uh, Julian of Norwich or, or whatever. But what, what I'm trying to say is that this Lutheran, so again, uh, this, this tradition that comes out of the work that Martin Luther is doing, um, is claiming that they teach that one holy church is to continue forever. And we know this is true. I mean, we know that in scripture, Jesus says on this foundation, um, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, that might be my loose paraphrase. But basically, Jesus promises that he is going to sustain his church, that he is mm-hmm. going to, to build it, sustain it, and see through space and time that it will continue to flourish, that it will continue to thrive, in spite of the humans that constitute said church. Um, you know, all you have to do is look at church history, um, look at human history and see all the sin, all the darkness, all the wickedness. Um, but you see that God works in and in spite of that very sin and that very um, darkness. But um, right. I, I like I like this here, especially because, again, it's the Augsburg Confession. Um, it's reformational. And even the reformers are talking about the church as a thing that will continue forever. Not from this point forward, but it did exist. It is existing and will exist forever. I think that there's some pretty profound um, implications to draw from that. But that's all that I wanted to say before we proceed. And that really is just continue. It continues within the Augsburg Confession to highlight what we, we already mentioned way back when we were going through this many times, which is that nothing that the reformers, any of them, not just the ones that wrote the Augsburg Confession, but also Calvin, um, Zwingli, uh, I mean, any, any member of any group of reformers that you could find in the, in the 16th century, um, were all seeking to renew the one church that they had all grown up in and loved. And they were seeking to address issues in the church. They were not seeking to change the church or create a church like they, they wouldn't even have understood that right language, i mean you could which, which comes so naturally to us but is really an impossibility right from a, from a biblical perspective i mean you could almost say that the reformers were trying to retrieve to renew to use language that we use on this podcast they were going that, back to the sources they were going back exactly. to the fathers exactly and um we see that even in how they go on to define the church, right? They say it is which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments are rightly administered. So here we don't get a definition of what the gospel means or what the sacraments mean. Um, Just, you know, zooming out a little bit. We've already kind of talked about the, at least the basic message of the gospel, God, sin, incarnation, justification, um, 
they've already kind of given us at least the skeleton of what the gospel is. Obviously, there's more to be said, but we've gotten the basics. Um, and just looking ahead, the, the next few articles are, are, they are about each sacrament individually. So they, they, they will define and explain what the sacraments that are to be rightly administered are. We do have an understanding of what the gospel that is to be rightly taught is. And here we're emphasizing the fact that the community of faith is that in which the gospel is rightly preached or taught, they say here, and the sacraments are rightly administered. And this was nothing new, the idea that there is a, a ministry of word and sacrament, the idea that we have the preaching and the teaching of, of God's message of salvation in the gospel and the the uh, administration and, and distribution and reception of the tangible means of grace that God has chosen to deliver that message of salvation through in baptism and um, the Lord's Supper, or the Eucharist. Uh, that's that. None of that's new. But what what's important is that these things need to be rightly taught and rightly administered. And that is what the church is. These these things that we're that we're going back and we're saying, huh? It is have we been faithful as a church to? the message of the gospel? Have we been faithful to the, the sacraments as they were instituted by Christ? Let's, let's go back to the sources. Let's reevaluate. Let's question some of these practices that have, that have uh, developed and, and, and maybe aren't so helpful or maybe are outright bad. Um, it, that all of that, the whole reforming Reformation project is to reestablish or, or not even reestablish, but just to re emphasize and to protect the right preaching and teaching of the gospel and the right administration of the sacraments, um, which I think it, it, there really is no other way to see it. You know, if you look at, if you look at the new Testament and then you look at the, the history of the church and you look at what the reformers are doing and saying, as they're doing these things, this is what they're all about. This is what they're trying to do because there is one holy church that will continue forever we need to be preaching the gospel and administering the sacraments rightly because that is where the unity is. And that's what they go on to say is the unity of the, the true unity of the church is enough to just agree about the, the gospel and the sacraments. Um, and there is, of course, much to be said about what does it mean to agree on the gospel and agree about the administration of the sacraments? You know, do if, if I understand that this is what's happening in the Lord's Supper, but you say it's more like this, which is a little different. You know, it, does that mean we don't agree? Does that mean we're not in unity? At what point? You know, there, there's lots more to be worked out and details to be sort of hammered out and fleshed out. However, this is what is so important is the gospel and the sacraments, which which are just the gospel, you know, made physical, delivered to us. Um and that's what, that's what the reformers are all about. They're all about the church. That's why they're doing what they're doing. And we kind of see that shining through here. We, we, maybe we have to read between the lines a little bit. Uh, maybe we have to take into consideration a little bit more of the, the historical background of this article. Um, but but I, I don't believe it's being you know untrue to what's being said here to really put this emphasis on the one holy true church that is continuing, that Christ has built and is building and will continue to do so, um, that this is what we're all about 
as reformers. This is what we're all about as Christians to uh, protect and build up and ensure the right uh, teaching of the gospel and administration of the sacraments. And um, I think I think it's just a really, really helpful definition because it packs so much into what it means to be church into such a small sentence, um, which definitely means, like I keep saying, there's more to be said. You know, we're not denying that. The confession's not denying that. Um, but this is where we need to start, I think, is a fair is a fair way to put it. Um, and I think that it's, it's, it's the best place to start. <laughs> um, cause like they say, as St. Paul says, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, that's what matters. You know, that's why there's one church and not many churches. Mm. Um, yeah, that was good. Yeah. I mean, do we, do we, do we want to mention like that little bit about it is necessary or, uh, nor is it necessary that human traditions, that is rites or ceremonies instituted by men should be everywhere alike, or at least just touch on that. I mean, that's, that's a pretty interesting little clause sure. as well, that, that there are just some traditions, human traditions, uh, rites and ceremonies that like don't have to be the same everywhere. And I think there's a lot to be said you know, especially, and, and this is actually, you know, a little peek behind the curtain. We're going to have an episode coming up where we talk about unity, not uniformity. Um, and I think that this might be hinting at that a little bit. Like, we can have unity. We can have true unity as the church, but we don't have to have uniformity. Um, and I think that's going to be a really interesting conversation. So, so stay tuned for a few weeks from now. Um, but to not give too much away, like, I think, I don't exactly know what they're thinking about. Like, I don't know what they have in mind as they talk about these rites and ceremonies. Um, but, you know, perhaps, and this is probably a stretch given what I know about Lutherans, but um, maybe, you know, today with Lucas being an Anglican and, and me, Jens, being a, a Baptist, um, we have different understandings of the sacraments, at least as far as baptism is concerned. So could this possibly, I don't know, be used as like a, the, the, the way in which we immerse uh, or sprinkle or whatever, like however we practice the, the mode of baptism. Um, is that a human tradition? Is it a, a right ceremony? Like to not necessarily be practiced the same everywhere. Lucas looks like he might want to kill me. I don't really know what, <laughs> what I he's think thinking. I think mode of baptism might be closer to just a secondary rite or ceremony that doesn't need to be the same versus like who's um, baptized, you know, what is baptism? Right. And, and you know, what is the significance and thus, you know, who, who receives it. But um, I, I think an easier thing to think about because that, you know, you're going to have debate. Oh, well that's disagreement over the sacraments. They just said, that's what you, you know, that's that's you know, true. Like yeah. you're gonna have there, there's room to debate there. I don't I don't have an answer. I'm just saying like maybe something a little lower stakes might be helpful to illustrate this point. So you know uh, when I go to church on Sundays, the uh, the priest who is celebrating and presiding over the Eucharist that Sunday is wearing um, his his clothes. He's wearing a surplice, which is like a white robe. He's wearing a stole, which is kind of like a big scarf, over that um, robe. And then over that, he's wearing a chasuble, which is like a big poncho. Um, and all of these things are 
you know, colored according to the liturgical season that we're in. So right now we're in ordinary time after after Trinity, and, and they're all green. Um, you know, before, for, for Easter, they were white, and during Lent, they're purple. Um, whether or not your, you know, jurisdiction of the church wears the same vestments as the church down the road doesn't really matter for it's not necessary that those traditions be identical for us to be unified it doesn't matter um the the rites and the ceremonies do do the does the church in you know kenya have to conduct the liturgy in the same language as the church in brazil no it doesn't because those rites and ceremonies don't need to be conducted in Latin or Greek or Chinese. They need to be rightly expressing the gospel and administering the sacraments, right? Um, they, they, the, the unity doesn't come from what we look or sound like. The unity comes from our common faith, which is, you know, Ephesians 4, one faith, one baptism, one, you know, that unity comes from the substance of our faith, not the, the outward, ex- external expressions of our faith. So it's one thing if you say, you know, this might get a little heated. It's one thing if you say, we use leavened bread in the Eucharist, we use unleavened bread. It's another thing if you say, we celebrate the Eucharist, we don't celebrate the Eucharist, but we're all Christians and we're unified. No, you know, like that's not unity in the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. Or there are a million other examples we could think of both ways um, mm. in terms of what, what's, a, what's a human rite or ceremony that, 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 that's good or neutral, helpful, but ultimately doesn't matter in, in, the, in like the, the big picture versus what is something that's part of the gospel, that's part of the right teaching of the gospel and the right exercise of, of the church's functions, you know? Um, so we'll probably get more into those kinds of questions yeah. in, a, in a couple of weeks. Um, and, and, and not necessarily helpful. like liturgical questions so much as just like some more exploration on, on, on this question, right. or this, this topic as well, hmm. um, I think is, is a really important topic. Cause I think it's easy to kind of like get caught up in the, what you're used to or what you like or what you think is right, it's hard to it's hard to, you know, hold that loosely if yeah. it is something that and not everything should be held loosely. But there are things that should. Yeah. <laughs> and for I think sure. that's kind of what what the Augsburg is helping us to see here. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to say if you enjoyed this episode where we talked about the Augsburg over and against having a Christians of history, let us know. Maybe we'll just do a, you know three or four in a row and then go back to Christians of history. We're like super chill dudes that just want to talk about theology and people. So if you're enjoying the Augsburg, we'll keep doing the Augsburg. If you want to hear about more Christians of history, we'll do that too. But uh, we want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to connect with us and tell us what you thought, uh, find us on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. Uh, you're always welcome to shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, give us your feedback, questions, episode ideas. Uh, let us know what you're going through. We'd be happy to pray for you. Whatever it might be, we just want to hear from you. So until next time, 